Okay, so I'll tell you, uh, there was a brief time in my life that I was convinced that I had a special power, maybe even a superpower. And uh, I decided to disclose this information during my karate class as a kid. Uh, and so I didn't last very long in karate uh, or karate. Um, <clears throat> I didn't last very long, maybe because I tried to tell my karate teacher <clears throat> that I thought I could see through things. And uh, which I really did think I could see through things, okay? now. It's not crazy. If you hold your hand up close to your face, all right, uh, you, it, it has the appearance of being transparent, okay? And that's because we have binocular vision, I learned later on in life. And so the perspective kind of makes it look like your hand is transparent. Um, but not before I could explain my advantage to my karate teacher. I was like, hey, look, this has got to be helpful somehow in this ninja life that I want to live. I mean, if there was a bad guy on the other side of a wall and I could have knowledge about him before he knew about me, I mean, that's an advantage, okay? So it's like, how can I, this superpower get to work for my karate skills? It's really what I was trying to think of. Um, but he, you know, I think he just looked at me and then looked at my mom and it's like, is everything okay? You know, and, uh, <clears throat> and then she was like, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so, but uh, I've, I've worked through, I've since worked through most of my potential superpowers, okay? So I've kind of checked them off the list and know that they're not actual superpowers. The only one I think I may still have is um, the ability to recognize when somebody gets a haircut. And uh, I really do feel pretty good about this. Um, I'm, I'm not 100%, but like 95%, okay? So if I see you regularly and you get a haircut, there's a good chance I recognize that, okay? And, uh, but you can see it's not a very helpful superpower to have. Okay, so if I could ask you though this morning, if, you, if I could ask God on your behalf to give you a power this morning, what would you wanna have? And it's not like, don't, don't just blow off the question like it's some weird icebreaker between me and a lot of people, okay? Think about it. If I could ask the God of the universe with all the powers at his disposal to give you a, a certain power, what would that power be? If he's gonna give you something before you walked out of the door this morning, the ability to do something. <clears throat> That's really what a power is. It's, it's the ability to do something, the capacity to do something. And uh, another way of asking this is what limitations, what limitations do you wish you could remove from your life? Do you have any, do you have any limitations that you've been feeling in your life that you were like, man, I wish I could just not be limited in this way? Um, maybe, maybe you'd like to not be limited by gravity, okay? That would be the superpower of being able to fly, okay? That would be awesome, okay? Michael, you can fly, but not like of in yourself, okay? So he's a pilot. And uh, he's in that moment not limited by gravity, but all the other times he is, okay? And so one poll I saw it had invisibility as the most desired superpower, kind of like X-Men type of power, invisibility. And I was like, I don't know, like, not sure... I know it worked out for Harry Potter, but like besides that, I'm not sure it's like that useful. Um, but don't, don't even go superpowers. Don't go sort of like comic book, like what other powers, maybe the power of wealth uh, that you wouldn't be limited by financial constraints. Maybe that's a power that you wish that God would give you. Or maybe the power to heal would be the power that you'd like to have. Like if God could give you a power, it'd be the power to heal other people. We have some friends, uh, their, their daughter just got out of the NICU uh, and now they're needing to keep her from sickness because sickness would be devastating to her body. Uh, now they're needing to keep her from any sickness despite the fact that it feels like viruses are just like everywhere and germs are just like, like 
you're probably getting sick right now. You know, like that's, that's how it feels. Like it feels like there's just everywhere. And so they've got to keep this baby girl healthy. And, uh, and so I wish I had the power to heal. If she got sick and she's so fragile, I could just heal her and then it would be okay, right? Um, I, this week, have felt my limited capacity, my limited power over and over and over again. I, I saw a dump truck flip over on I-30 this week, okay? I was right next to a dump truck. It just tumped over and was sliding down the road. And so I stopped my car and I got out and I ran over to try to help the driver who was stuck in the car or in the dump truck. And uh, I got there not first, okay? There was these two other guys that were very... Um, they just looked like that was what they were made to do. They had gloves already, and they started pulling the windshield off of the dump truck. And, uh, and then some other gal runs up, and she's got high heels and, like, really nice clothes on. And she just sticks her head in the, into the area where the windshield was now removed. And she starts uh, administering CPR, or, uh, not CPR, but, like, first aid to this gal who's, uh, who's driving the dump truck. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I've got a phone. I called 911, like, the 50th guy to call 911. And so I just was so useless. I ended up trying to, like, move rocks off the road because the, the police officer was like, maybe just move those rocks. And I was like... Like, okay, I just saw, it turns out I, I moved the wrong rocks. I was like, man, I just can't help anywhere here. And then later that day, I ended up, I went, I went to a coffee shop. I was doing some work at a coffee shop and there was a gal outside who, um, it was just evident uh, that she was not in a good space, okay? And so I, I walked by, I said, hey, can I help you? Seems like you're having a bad day. Can I help you? And um, truth be told, I was concerned that she was being trafficked just by the nature of the situation. I said, this does not look good. Can I help? Uh, long story short, like two and a half hours later, I end up standing next to her at JPS trying to get her into uh, the emergency room to get her detox from the drugs that she's on. And you know what she does right before she gets uh, uh, entered into the emergency room? She walks away. I watch her walk out the door, out into all of the chaos that's outside the door. Not protected, 19 years old. And I was helpless. I couldn't get her into the space for her to get help. I couldn't do anything more than that. And uh, I got home that same night and I was like trying to help my daughter do something. And she made it clear that mommy was the only one who was able to do this. And so I was like, I can't even help here. You know, I'm helpless. <laughs> I felt just all over the place, my limited resources, my limited power. And, uh, and so I'd love to have any of these powers, quite frankly. Um, but in this passage we're looking at today, uh, it's the last one in this series on Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3, the foundations of worship. Okay, that's what we've been studying. It's the last message before we get into Advent next week. And uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to pray for his readers, for us now today, uh, to have the power to do something. And, uh, and it isn't any of the things I listed earlier. It's not any of those powers. And it might not be a power that you would guess at all. It's probably not the one you would expect and probably not the one you would have asked for walking in the door. But he's desperate for us to be able to do something, for us to have the power to do something. And can I tell you, I'm desperate with Paul for you to have this power. Having looked at this passage, read this passage as many times as I can this week, I, with Paul, am desperate for us as a church to have this power in particular. And so it's not just some prayer that was recorded 2,000 years ago, kind of written down on a scroll, tucked away, and now we get to look at it and kind of like study it mechanically. Okay, that's not what this is. It's not just something we're learning about. It's what I'm praying will happen today. 
that you will walk out of here with this power. So this is kind of the weird thing about the Bible when you start interacting with it is that it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't stay put and it doesn't do what you want it to do. And so whether you like it or not, so you've, you've come into this space voluntarily, but now involuntarily, involuntarily you're being prayed for. I'm praying for you that you would receive a power today and walk out of this room, at least into a chapter of your life. Even if you don't walk out of the room with this power in particular, you'd walk out of this room into a season that is defined by seeking and finding this particular power. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're dealing with something that's live here today. And so what I'm asking God on your behalf, my behalf today is this, that you would have the power to know and experience in the depths of your soul, the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. That's what, that's what I'm praying for you, have been praying for you, I'm going to keep praying for you uh, throughout this gathering, at the end of this gathering, for the rest of this week, <clears throat> that you would have the power to know and experience in the depths of your soul, the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ Jesus, okay? Because it's this power, you've gotta understand, it's this power that makes the gospel real in your life. It's this power that can overcome your deepest and your darkest fears, whatever those are, whatever those deepest and darkest, most haunting, most terrifying things in your world, it's this power that can overcome those things in your life. It's this power that fuels and sustains revival. If we wanna see a revival of joyful worship in our church, it's not going to just happen because we try really hard. It's gonna happen because God gives us this power in our lives and then together as a community. It's this power that fuels the worship in our souls and in our church, okay? And so we're gonna consider this from the passage. Who is the power from, who is the power for, and what is the power for, okay? So who, who, and what, all right? So we're just gonna move through it that way. So the first question, who is this power from, this power that can do all those things I just said, is uh, who is it from? And so start in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So uh, just asking this question, what reason? What is he talking about? So this is in context. This is actually a prayer that he started at the beginning of chapter three when he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and then he kind of gets distracted by the just value of the mystery that he's getting to deliver at a high cost, okay? So he got distracted or kind of di digressed to remind them of the value of the mystery that's worth every cost of delivery. And so he's starting again, for this reason, because of all that he said in, in chapter two, 11, verses 11 through 22, that we have access to God the Father through the grace delivered uh, in Jesus. And so that's not just for Jews, people who are in this kind of genetic heritage of faith. It's for everybody who has entered in by faith into God's household now. Okay, for this reason, because we all get to be in God's household, have access to the Father. I'm gonna bow my knees before that Father is what he says. Uh, and in light of that, he's, he's gonna pray. And bowing, just so you know, is not like, oh, so he's like really pious. And like, this is this kind of what really religious people do at the time. That's not what really religious people did at the time. Really re religious people, the norm of that would be to stand and pray. What Paul is doing is he is bowing and praying and, uh, and so what I think he's saying here is that his physical position is that of desperation and submission, okay? So he's in a physical position of desperation and submission. That's what you're doing when you're kneeling. Have you ever begged somebody for something? Have you ever been in a place where you're just desperate? 
I'm going to get on my knees and, and beg for this. That's how much Paul wants us to have the thing he's praying for. And so the Father, he says he's praying to the Father. That's who the power is from, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So the Father to whom we all have access as members of his household, okay, the one uh, by, by which every family in heaven and on earth, he's the original Father, okay? He's the one from whom, from whom everything has come, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so do we see the request for the Father to grant us to be strengthened with power? Did you see it? Okay, uh, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. But there's something we can kind of blow past here. It's the measure with which it's being granted. Okay, do you see it? That according to the riches of his glory, he would grant us this. Now, what, is that? what does it mean, right? Does it mean just kind of like, uh, out of the riches of his glory. So like, hey, you were really rich. So give, you know, out of that storehouse, you're gonna give me some of this strength. But it doesn't mean that. It actually means in proportion to the wealth of his glory. Okay, and what's the difference? Okay, the difference is this. John D. Rockefeller, you know who he is? He's one of the richest men ever, okay? He's super duper, duper, duper rich, okay? And uh, when he would go golfing, he would tip his caddy a dime, and it wasn't because like, oh man, back then a dime was a lot. It wasn't a lot to John D. Rockefeller, okay? Uh, he was tipping him a caddy because he, he was tipping him out of his wealth. But what he was not doing was tipping him in proportion to his wealth. Okay, do you see this? If John D. Rockefeller tipped his caddy in proportion to his wealth, every time he went golfing, he would change somebody's life. Do you get that? Because he was so rich that if you just gave him a proportionate amount, it would, be like, it would be like this guy just was the richest guy that he ever met, okay? And that's gonna happen every time he goes golfing because he's that rich, okay? And so here's the deal. The wealth of God's glory is life-changing and it's in proportion to his wealth that he gives us that power. How do we, how do we know just how, uh, how, what, what the weight of God's glory, the wealth of God's glory, the riches of his glory, how do we know what that is? In verse 20, Paul is declaring God's glory and he describes him uh, as him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Far more abundantly. That basically means to him who is infinitely able. God's ability, his capacity, the words, it's not just far more abundantly, it's like super far more abundantly. The, the, the best way I can wrap my mind around it is that he is infinitely capable, okay? And so that is our God. He's unlimited, infinitely powerful. And so don't miss, the, don't miss this, don't like kind of blow past this. Who is the power from? It's from God, but it's in proportion to his wealth, to, in proportion to his power, okay? And so we're not asking God for small things this morning. Do you get that? It's, it's, it seems like kind of presumptuous and maybe even annoying to come in to this space and you're like, oh, well, first of all, I didn't come here and hear asking that. You're asking that on my behalf. You better believe it. I'm asking God for something immensely great on your behalf today. And, uh, and it's not actually annoying to God. Actually, uh, there's a story about... Um, Alexander the Great, one of his generals, he told one of his generals that he would give, uh, he would pay for his daughter's wedding. And so the, the bill comes back from this wedding and it's like a crazy bill, like the most expensive wedding you could ever imagine. So he's throwing like a, I don't know what your 
scope of this is because like Dallas has like some crazy weddings, okay? Um, uh, Fort Worth, I'm not sure. But so he throws a million dollar wedding and the bill comes back to Alexander the Great and they thought he would be really mad uh, about this bill that he just got for this wedding. And he actually said, no, I'm really glad because he's, he knows I'm both rich and generous. And that's where it is with our God. It's good news for us. He's both rich and generous. He's infinitely able. The power for this thing that we need to happen, this power of experientially knowing in your soul the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ, it's gonna come from this God who is infinitely able. Okay, don't miss that. So who's the power for? It's, it's, uh, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so the you here is actually a group of Christians. That's who he's been writing to this whole time. Uh, and then for us today, we're gonna receive this by faith as a group of Christians. If you're in Christ, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus and this is for you, if you're not, if you're kind of still checking this whole thing out and you're still kind of wondering where you stand with Jesus, there's a word for you in this, so don't miss that. But he is writing uh, to Christians, okay? And he's saying the strength that is being needed is a strength that believers in Jesus need. Okay, so, so that, that should be like kind of maybe a little bit of a release valve on your soul today. If you came in here, not in your inner person, having everything together or having all the power that you need, there's somehow a, a, Paul at least thinks that there's something more that you do need, okay? So you're not crazy for thinking that. And so we're not exempt as believers from having a need for God's power to be at work in our lives, okay? You don't just put your faith in Jesus and all of a sudden, boom, you just make it to the end, kind of coast to the finish line, no problem. The need, however, is not one that's external. It's not financial. It's not physical. It's in our inner being, okay? As you see that, that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. And I just am wondering, is there a place where you need God's spirit, God's power more at work than in your inner being? This actually, this place, this inner being, it's, it's, it's your, your deepest self. So, so whatever is stripped away in your life, uh, whatever is taken away from you, whatever kind of like, imagine you're just in a situation where you just have consciousness, that piece of you that's the last most core fundamental part of who you are, that is your inner being, okay? And I'm wondering if there's any place where you need strength more than that. Because uh, that is actually the place where our greatest battles are fought. Your greatest battles in your lifetime, I don't even have to know you, but I do know a lot of you, and I know that the greatest battles, the greatest challenges in your life are not those that are happening externally to you, but they're actually happening inside of you. Uh, we'll say it this way, uh, a psychologist, if they're talking about addiction, they're gonna say that the root of all addiction is a sense of being unloved or unlovable. Do you know that? So whatever addiction, way that manifests in your life, all of that's gonna come back to what is the problem? Is the problem physiological? Not predominantly. Is there, are there physiological components to addiction? Yeah. But the deepest problem is that you're, you feel unloved or unlovable like a failure. And so I'm, maybe it's not you, but do you know somebody who is struggling deeply right now? Like they're, they're really struggling deeply in their lives. Well, Paul is praying not for surface level strength for you or for them. He's praying for a strength in their inner being. 
And so here's the deal. The fact that he is praying for Christians makes this next verse really, really interesting to me and kind of hard to wrap your minds around. So he's, again, asking uh, God the Father to grant through his spirit in your inner being, what? That according to the riches of his, his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, like, didn't that happen when you put your faith in Jesus? It did. So here's the deal. We need the Spirit of God, the Almighty, to put his power in our inner being. And a description of that power is Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith. And so it's important to understand what does Paul mean? What type of dwelling uh, in our hearts by faith is Jesus doing in this situation? Okay. The so that that you see there. So you, you see how it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That so that it only shows up in English. Okay. It's just the best way in English of trying to capture that idea, but it doesn't show up in the Greek. Um, And so it actually uh, makes it more of a parallel phrase, okay? This Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith is actually a parallel phrase to to the Spirit's working and power in you. Okay, so that, like, why does that matter, dude? Okay, the the picture here is of Jesus taking up permanent residence in you and the power doesn't allow Jesus to dwell in us. The power is Jesus dwelling in us. Okay, the power of the Spirit working in you is Jesus dwelling in you, okay? Uh, The Spirit of God is making room. Hear this this way. The Spirit of God is making room for the Son of God to have complete dominion in your life. The Spirit of God, when this power is being worked out, it's the Spirit of God making room in you, in every domain of your life, in every dominion of your life, okay, for the Son of God to have complete rule and reign. Okay, and so actually, I actually see this this week in me. I see moments where there's incongruence in my life, in my soul, I've seen it. You know, like as much as you can see things happening spiritually, I can see this happening where a moment comes up and here is something in my soul, it's incongruent with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is not uh, dwelling or making his abode or kind of like stretched out on the couch, so to speak, of this moment of my life. And all of a sudden I'm just like, man, this is really incongruent. Like this is not, I know the gospel, I know God's love for me. And somehow this moment is incongruent, okay? And that's the spirit of God in me saying where you are right now, is not in alignment with Jesus and you need to change. That's what that looks like, okay? And so Sam Storms, Pastor Sam Storms, he says it this way, I thought it was really helpful. It would seem that he is praying for the emotional increase or experiential expansion of what is already a theological fact. You hear him? That's what it seems like Paul is praying for is an experiential expansion of what's already a theological fact that Christ does dwell in you by faith. You don't have to keep inviting Jesus into your heart all the time. What we want to do is not section off parts of our life from him. And so the spirit of God is going to be breaking down walls in your life um, and making Jesus more at home in all of you. Experiential expansion of what's already a theological fact. His desire is that the Lord Jesus, through his spirit, might exert an ever-increasing and progressively more powerful influence on our lives and in our hearts. Thank you, Sam Storms. That was, I thought, really well said. And so in verse 17, he continues describing who it is that's receiving the power. He's saying that you, being, that, so again, Christians, uh, us in this room, being rooted and grounded in love. So he gives another little parenthetical here to describe us further and help you understand more of who you are. He's, he's further describing Christians and he uses two different metaphors and he mixes them together and he doesn't even care. Um, he says, those who are rooted and grounded. 
Okay, so, so what are the two metaphors there? Roots go with a tree, all right? And this groundedness, that's like a foundation. It's, it's a foundation of a building. And truth be told, this is actually where a whole series name even derives from is this concept that, that it's in God's love that the foundation of our worship is laid on the bedrock of his love. And then if you want to just kind of just, he's, he's like, I'll, whichever one connects with you is cool, okay? If you, if you the other day, we, there's, there's uh, oak trees all around our neighborhood and we found, there's, um, I can't remember what kind of oak tree it is, but the, the, the acorn on it is like massive. You know what I'm talking about? What's it called? Burroke, yes. It's like mega-sized, okay? And Lucy, she, she finds them. She's like collecting them, and it's always like, mom needs these, okay? Dad, hold them. And I'm like, okay. I'm like coming back. I look like a chipmunk, you know? I'm like, got these acorns everywhere. And uh, but I tried to like do a little, I'm like, hey, let me tell you about biology here. And I'm going to try to dig a hole in the ground. I couldn't. I was like getting dirt all in my fingernails. I was like, you plant these, and a tree comes up, right? Uh, but the way that trees work is that their roots go down. And this is actually a fun fact. The, the, how far their branches go, you can know for sure that's how far their, their roots are spreading. Okay, and so he wants you to know, not, that, not in order to be rooted or grounded, th- these, are, these are the tense of those words, puts it in the past, puts it as something that's completed and done. Okay, and so you are, if you're in Christ, now you have roots and you have a foundation laid and it's in love, God's love for you. And the, the function of those roots is to make you secure. That's what roots do. That's what a foundation does. It secures for the sake of growing, for building. And so we see that the power is from God for those of us who are in Christ. And now what does it allow you to do? Why, why is he asking us to have power? What does he want? Some, he wants something to happen, I think, to these roots that we have in God's love. He wants something to happen to this uh, uh, foundation that has been poured on the bedrock of God's love. And I think what he wants to do is uh, he wants to kind of, in a sense, drill rebar through it and strengthen it for a purpose, okay? My dad was a construction superintendent for 30 years. He built high-rise buildings. And he, he was like constantly talking about rebar. <laughs> I was like, what is this rebar you speak of? You know, like as a kid, I was like, hey, I don't know what that is. Um, but it reinforces and strengthens concrete. So he wants it to be strong for some reason. He wants it to be strengthened. And the same thing with our roots. He wants your roots to have this sort of strength in God's love, okay? And so what does this power, this strengthening of your roots and your foundation, what does it allow you to do, okay? He wants you to understand, what is it for, like, what is the power for? It says that you may be, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so what he, he, he says, he wants, you to be, he wants you to have strength in these. Why? To understand the nature of this love that you are rooted in. To understand the nature of this love that you are built upon. He wants you to have strength to really get it. You see the word he uses? Strength to comprehend. That, that comprehend comes off a little bit more lightly 
than, than I honestly think it should. Um, and so it, it's, it means like to wrestle with and overtake. When, when you comprehend an idea, what does that even really mean? It's that you've grasped it, you know? And, and you're like, a lot of times you're like, I grasped it. Like, no, you grasp that idea, okay? Abraham Lincoln, he was said to have been a very slow reader, but he never forgot anything he read. So he grasped it very slowly, but with a ton of determination. Okay, and so uh, it, 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 I, think, I think what he's getting is to, to make this knowledge uh, your own. To take it and wrestle it inside of you, in the deepest parts of you, to every crevice in your life, to wrestle in the truth, the, the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ. Okay, so see, see what he says. He wants you to comprehend what? The breadth and the length and the height and the depth, okay? Okay. And so uh, uh, Paul's desire isn't just simple comprehension or fact regurgitation. He's asking God to help you wrestle this into your innermost life. And so for Jesus and his gospel to be the most real thing in your life, okay? He wants this to be wrestled into you to comprehend. He, he wants you to comprehend this in, with this uh, grasping of the greatness or the magnitude of this thing. And so I'm, I'm just gonna ask you, what is the breadth of God's love for you in Christ? Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How wide is the breadth as far as the east is from the west? That's how wide it is. What is the length of God's love for us in Christ? Ephesians 1 told, told, you, told us that he chose us before the foundation of time. And then in the Psalms, it says his love is from everlasting to everlasting. What is the breadth east is from the west? What is the length from everlasting to everlasting? What is the height of God's love? What are the heights of how God loves you in Christ? How do you understand this? In one place, it talks about how his love reaches to the skies. I think another way of considering the height of God's love is that it's to the very throne room of God, to the very throne of God. Where does his love lift you up to? Not in some kind of ethereal, make-believe, mythical way, but in all reality, the spiritual realms, you are seated, you have a seat saved for you next to the king of all kings. So is there a place that you could be brought higher than that? There's no higher seat. And then what is the depth of God's love for you in Christ? Well, Jesus went to the depths of the earth. Why? To remove the deepest of stains from your soul. That's the depth of his love that he can remove from you. It says, though your sins be like scarlet, though they're stained deep into your soul, he can remove them. That's the depth of his love. And so the key to this if you're tracking with me through kind of trying to comprehend this, to wrestle this into your soul, the key is that this love is not vague. God's love for you is not vague, but it will only be a concept to you until it is seen through the person of Jesus. God's love will be conceptual and therefore vague until you see it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus, through the person of Jesus. 
And he keeps going, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, this is, what is this, this power that you, I'm asking God would give you a power today that you would have the power to comprehend the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ. And then he says to know, the strength to know uh, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What is he saying? Why does he want you to have this power? Because to know is not simply to have information regarding something. To know is not simply just, to, the, 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 the word he's using is not just a knowledge about something. There is a difference, he's saying, between knowing that the gospel of, knowing that the gospel of Jesus is, is a set of facts in the history and, and that it is true for you. There's a difference between knowing about God's love and knowing that God loves you. There is a difference. And he's wanting you to know that in an experiential way. Listen to this, uh, to know. So D.A. Carson, he, he points out that the remarkable thing about this prayer is that Paul assumes that his readers, Christian though they are, do not adequately, adequately appreciate the love of Christ. He just assumes that you and me don't adequately appreciate the love of Christ. It's not a prayer that we might love Christ more. That is, that is not what I'm hoping for today. I don't hope you walk out of here today and you love Jesus more. Do you get that? I'm hoping that you have the power to walk out of here today and know how much Jesus loves you. Paul is praying that we might better grasp Christ's, Christ's immense love for us. While there is an intellectual side to this, it is not merely intellectual. Paul is praying that we who already know Christ's great love might come to experiencing it, come to experience it at ever deepening levels. Do you hear that? And so there is a danger to experiential spirituality, is there not? Uh, I, in the course of uh, like eight years or, or more in ministry, have just run up against all these cases of a lot of brokenness coming out of experiential spirituality. And it's super disturbing and it's really sad. Um, the danger of experiential spirituality is that it's not rooted in truth, okay? just so you know what the danger of it. I, I visited a church one time in London and I walked in and they were playing this video that just frustrated me to no end. It still does. I can't stand this video because they, they recorded a story of a miraculous healing. This person was miraculously healed and they were telling the story in the context or the point of the story is if you have enough faith, you will be healed. And that is just crazy, okay? That is not the truth. I have friends in this room. I have friends in my life. I have friends all over the place who are gonna walk faithfully through suffering right up until Jesus comes back or they go home. And God is getting glory for that. And it doesn't mean they don't have enough faith. It's a poor theology of suffering, okay? So experiential spirituality has a danger to it, but so does this unexperienced Spirituality has a danger to it. Unexperienced spirituality has a danger. And the danger is not that it's not rooted in truth, but it, that it's not rooted in you. Jonathan Edwards was a brilliant, brilliant theologian. And um, he was actually the pastor who was like right at the front end of the Great Awakening in the United States in like the 1700s. And... Um, and he used this illustration when he's trying to get to the heart of this knowing and knowing kind of conversation. He says, he, he would talk about honey. 
Okay, and so he, he said, you can know that honey is sweet because someone tells you that it's sweet. You can know it's sweet because you understand how sugar, the chemical compounds in sugar react with your taste buds. And you can have all the knowledge around it, why it should be sweet. Or you can know it's sweet because of the taste of honey on your tongue. And that's how Paul wants you to know God's love. And I just don't know. I wonder if there's some people in here who have just been coming to church. They've been doing this Christian thing for a long, long time. And you think, maybe I just will never really know if God loves me. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what God wants for you. It is a supernatural power that we're asking would happen. That's why it's such a crazy thing to ask. But that's what I'm asking is that you would taste it on your tongue. And here's the deal. If the love of Christ is something that has never really seemed that big or overwhelming to you, if it's never ever moved you, uh, I think that God needs to strengthen you to know it maybe for the first time ever. If you've never been moved by the greatness of God's love for you in Jesus, that the Son of God, eternal, eternal Son of God, when put on flesh, he was born in the middle of nowhere, grew up in the middle of nowhere, uh, became uh, uh, your sacrifice on a cross and, and was raised from the dead. Right? If that's never moved you, then you might need to know for the first time not just the truths about the gospel, but that it's true for you. Maybe this knowledge was once upon a time true for you, like you really knew this deeply. If the love of Christ has lost its luster or if it's dull to you, if it seems irrelevant to your life or your biggest problems right now, if, uh, I, I think I want to just he hear me on this. The trouble is not with Christ's love. The trouble is with your reception of it. That love has not changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love has not changed. It's our reception that changes. So maybe now you're thinking, oh great, I messed it up again. I can't even believe in Jesus, right? I just wanna quit and retreat into some comfortable space with myself and stop being bullied by my inability to get it right. Maybe that's how you feel now. You're like, okay, great, now I, I messed that up too. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you just stop? I just stop right where you are with all of the other thoughts in your life, just stop for one second and look at Jesus. I'm gonna lead you through that. Just look at Jesus. God loves you. Look at Jesus. Let go of you and be free from you and just look at him. In your mind's eye, in your soul, just look at him. He was a man living in insignificance, the hidden king living among the people that he made. He made these people. He's living amongst them as a hidden king. Look at him living out the ministry of the kingdom, loving the people that he made. Look at him now carrying out the rescue mission designed from time past. He got arrested. He got put on trial. He got beaten. He got tortured. He got falsely accused. He got insulted. He got nailed to a cross by who? The people that he made. He got killed. He got separated from his father and he got buried. And you get his love. Not generically, 
Here is his love for you, if you would receive it today. And so we, we receive it for the first time ever today. Just in the depths of who you are, say yes to that gift. Or if you've been bored with his love, if you've been just over it, maybe just could not fathom that God would once again show his face to you and his love for you in Jesus. Don't get distracted from that today. Look at him. The lion of Judah, his eyes are on you. Don't turn away. If you need forgiveness, would you ask him for that? Do you need forgiveness for something? Have you rebelled and rejected, from, uh, rejected God? Would you ask him for forgiveness? You know what you have for certain? You have his forgiveness. It's paid in full. You're not gonna drift closer to Jesus. You need a power to comprehend all of the magnitude of God's love and that it's for you. And so, oh, that you would taste it today. Oh, that you would make room in your lives, that you would commit the time that it will take alone with God. It's gonna take you time alone with God to find this love for you. Would you commit the time along with his saints? Do you see that you would comprehend these things with all the saints? It's gonna take you time together with the saints to, not, to, to, to be walking in intimate knowledge of his love for you. And so here's what Paul knows that we need to know. The heights of our worship are relative to the depth of our comprehension of his love. Our roots in God's love determine the heights of our praise. I talked to my dad yesterday. I said, Dad, tell me about a foundation of a building. He built 40-story twin towers in San Diego. Tell me about the foundations. He says, for those, they have to go deep. The rule the higher you want to build, the deeper your foundation needs to go. Paul knows this. He wants us to build our worship to the skies, and so we need our roots and our foundation drilled to the bedrock. And so here's what happens from this. What's the result of experiential, intimate awareness of God's love filling our lives and flooding our souls? It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. That's what comes from knowing God's love for you is that you're free to worship him who has loved you forever and ever. And the application, just when you, what do you do today with this? Take time alone with the Lord this week and wrestle with this truth. Wrestle it into your soul. Go back and read through Ephesians 1 through 3 and just ask God. Every time you don't believe it, ask him to help you believe it for you. I, I am convinced that half of our need for this inner being power is a failure to make time for God in our lives. How is Jesus going to be at home in your life if he has no time in your life? And then take time together with all the saints. Christian community is real conversations about God's love for you and Jesus. That's what Christian community is. Honest conversations about God's love for you and Jesus and maybe even your failure to believe it or apply it. 
You gotta have a conversation like that this week. If you have a conversation like that this week, don't be surprised if revival is breaking into your life. If you actually take time and don't just check a box of, oh, I spent time reading the Bible this week. Actually, I spent time letting God's word read me this week and I'm actually going to let it happen in me. Uh, Christian meditation is not, meditation as a thing is very popular, right? It's about emptying your mind. Uh, and there's a part of that that's right. Empty your mind of all these things that are untrue. But the Christian component of that is being filled with all of his fullness. It's about being filled up in him. And so just to close, God is infinitely able. He's able to convince you. So, so you might be sitting here thinking, one, I don't care. Or uh, two, I get that. Or you know, three, he, maybe, maybe not me. I don't expect God to do something supernatural in my life. And be, to be honest, most people come into a place on Sunday. There's a lot of Sunday gatherings right now where there is nothing supernatural happening and nobody's expecting anything supernatural to happen. But I am. I'm, so, I'm expecting something supernatural to happen in your life because God loves you and he's going to break through whatever sort of malaise or pain or distraction to get this news to you that he loves you. Uh, man, if, uh, if he's convincing you of that, praise God, write it down, tell somebody, don't forget it, do anything you can to not let that get interrupted in your life, okay? But if he's not, would you ask for help and know that you're in good company if you ask for help? That is an that is a request that I have made in my life in the darkest nights of my soul, which were not all that long ago, the, the darkest nights of my soul, you know what I did? I started reaching out to all the saints and saying, hey, will you pray for me? Because I'm not sure that God loves me. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you tell me I need help? I was desperate to know that God loved me. And he told me. He made my tongue taste his love for me in ways that I can never go back from. That song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. You know what an Ebenezer is? It's a rock of remembrance. Man, would God give you an Ebenezer in your life to say, no, I know for sure he loves me and I can never turn back. And I want it to be today. I want it to be this week, this season of your life. In five years, if we see a revival of joyful worship in our church that advances God's kingdom in every generation, it will be because we are convinced that he loves us, that he poured out his power through his spirit in our inner being, that Christ would dwell in us, that we may comprehend all of the height and depth and length and breadth of his love, that Christ's love would be real to us. That's why. Ask for help if you need to know that God loves you. And I'm gonna pray for you now. Heavenly Father, we, uh, I love asking you for things. 
I love asking you to do something that you love to do. There is no reason why this should be our conversation today. There's no reason why uh, we should even have a sensitivity or an awareness that you are real and that Jesus Christ is the King of all kings and that he's gonna come back and rescue us for all of eternity. We, we should not know that, but you have, uh, you have woken up our minds and our hearts to know that we are in desperate need and that Jesus has met every need that we have. Would you today, Heavenly Father, do this great work, not just in me and not just in a few of us, would you do this work across our church in a way that is uh, undeniable? Would you convince hearts and minds that you love them with an eternal love, that you are going to do for them all that they could ever hope or dream, that you are going to be eternally kind to them in Christ Jesus, that his blood was sufficient for every amount of rebellion and rejection and wickedness in their souls, and that it has been paid in full by the King of all kings, and he's going to come back, and he's going to rescue us forever. God, would you convince souls of that? Would you release us to worship you for all that you're worth? Would you help us with Paul to say to you who are able, infinitely able, to you be glory forever and ever in Christ Jesus and in the church? God, would you help us as a church to worship you like that, God? Would you do this in us today? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.